What's up? I'm uh, Maxter. We're back with Audox Episode 2, the show where we interview uh, game developers and people involved in the independent games industry. For this episode, we have uh, Powerhoof Games joining us, which is Barney and Dave. Hello. Hey. Hi. Hi. So, Barney, you are the main artist, right? Yeah. And yeah, Dave, I... you're the... Oh, sorry. I just... Yeah, I, I, I do all the art stuff. Dave does the code and we, we do all the design together. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so, for those who don't know, Powerhoof has recently released Crawl, which is this local multiplayer uh, dungeon crawler with a lot of twists and mechanics all kind of working together. Uh, but before we get into that, let's go into, I guess, a little bit of history. What did you guys do before you became independent developers? Um, I studied computer science um, and then got a job uh, at this game studio in Melbourne um, that Barney was also working at called Red Tribe. Um, I didn't really think I'd get the job because I just I thought oh, I'll try and get some games jobs because that'd be awesome. I was doing a, a few little hobbyist kind of things at the time. I guess I, I guess I was doing indie stuff at the time, but I never thought of it like that, and no one else did either. It was always just you know I think we called ourselves you know amateur adventure game creators or something <laughs> before indie thing before indie, indie was, was a thing. thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so then I worked uh, worked there for um, four years, I guess. And then that studio closed down and me and Barney went our separate ways. And uh, then I got a job at another uh, company in Melbourne, Firemint, that made um, makes mobile games. Mm-hmm. And Barney, oh, I'll let Barney tell his side of the story from here, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I was a pretty similar situation. I uh, faffed around not knowing not really realizing that that doing video games was a job that people actually had uh and then uh was was uh studying really mostly just by myself just being taught on the internet and from tutorials and forums and stuff uh animation uh which i was into and then wound up getting an animation job at this games company and it was the same place that dave was uh was at and we kind of just through the the company uh having ha- being fairly disorganized and not not having really the right people to um to kind of lead the design teams uh, me and dave wound up kind of being lucky enough to to take on way more responsibility than we actually uh were ready for um but that was great that forced us to learn and we we kind of jumped in and you know learned how to uh implement mechanics and all of this stuff and then yeah that company uh went out of business when the sort of global financial crisis happened um we just a lot of them the melbourne and australia companies uh kind of couldn't really exist without without another contract from america and america just wasn't wasn't giving the kind of contracts anymore that we were operating on so uh yeah heaps of those companies went out of business and so we me and dave both moved to different uh mobile mobile studios uh and i was working at uh iron monkey who um made the dead space uh mobile game uh and then they yeah but both of those companies got bought by ea uh 
because they were both doing really well um, and and mobile was kind of the next big thing that people were realizing, oh, there's actually a lot of money in this thing. And that was sort of just around that time that people were actually starting to take it seriously because they were seeing seeing huge profits on, you know, on these small games. And uh, so, yeah, the, those two companies were both bought by EA and we kind of got moved uh, together into the same building again. So we wound up working, well, working at the same place again. Uh, and then as, as kind of we realized that microtransactions and all that stuff was not really, you know, exciting to us compared to, uh, or, you know, action, action PC games and, uh, console games that we were, had been kind of working on before. Uh, yeah, we, we decided to quit and, and try our own thing before we finally kind of admitted defeat and you know gave in to just working for the man forever so we thought we'd give it a shot and that was about I think four years ago now and uh yeah I think we both expected to do it for about six months and then realize you know we couldn't make any money doing it and go running back to the same company we were working at but um yeah it's worked out at least a little bit more (laughs) more successful than uh than we anticipated which is great yeah, you guys have done really well. And it's funny, you um it seems like you guys have basically experienced many of the ebbs and flows of the industry over the last few years. Like first with the whole kind of I think Red Tribe was kind of like not quite a triple A developer, but like in the middle. Um yeah. Yeah. a lot it, of those developers tried to pretend it was, but it definitely wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of those developers around that time I think experienced a lot of difficulties, which is now why you see, you know, either so many triple A's or indies, it's kind of like the extremes. Um, and also, of course, mobile gaming, because it, it was a weird time then, because there were a lot of premium, you know, mobile games like Dead Space and Infinity Blade, uh, Real Racing. And then it kind of shifted to a free-to-play model as mobile kind of changed and people's expectations of it changed as well. Yeah. And now and now you're kind of back uh, in the PC gaming space, which has experienced a revival, of course, in the last few years, both with, uh, you know, AAA games and indie games. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Real Racing was one that Fiment did when I was there. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, Flight Control. So yeah, when I joined them, they were completely, they were basically an indie studio. They were they were doing some contracts, but they were like a, a bigger, I guess, AAA studio, but for mobile stuff at that time. So, you know, there was, a, there was quite a lot of people there. It was like maybe, there was 30 plus when I joined. Um, and they had a bunch of little projects going though. It wasn't just like one massive project. Um, but then, yeah, the yeah, it was definitely interesting going from the premium thing that was they were doing really, really well and was really successful, um, and then freemium came along about the same time as EA bought the studio out, and so all those changes kind of changed the company really drastically. Like it went from this uh, thing that was all about making little innovative uh, touch control games that people would be really excited to play to being more about okay we've got a we've got a you know ea's on our back we've got a <laughs> got to like um turn a profit and all our games have to be freeware uh freemium um and so that pressure was really full on at the start and it, i think just because it was so disruptive that when freemium came in um it wasn't really it wasn't really ea's fault necessarily it was just um people up in the higher ups or whatever didn't really know Oh, they were like sort of panicking and like everything has to be like this. Um, mm. And then it's relaxed a lot since then. So um, right. there was a, so uh, yeah, at the time we left, 
I think it was probably there was heaps of people leaving and because they were kind of they'd seen this company transition to something they weren't nearly as happy with but it was you know it's a really nice place to work but um yeah, yeah. it wasn't it wasn't even so much the company it was just the industry of mobile games I think just transitioned to something where the best practices like you know were were supporting stuff that they weren't into and they weren't supporting the the kind of stuff that they were used to make anymore like they just weren't supporting those those freemium type of things and those small experimental uh things like the kind of stuff that uh that was being prototyped at at firemint around then like i think that kind of that did really well when they started and then once the uh microtransactions sort of became so strong that those kind of games just weren't weren't viable anymore and so yeah it was uh and also people didn't really know how to do them well and so you're getting all these really negative these sort of we we had a, a game we released that that just got completely panned because we'd added um you know added micro transactions to it and all that stuff yeah in the kind of the time where that that was a big you know a bit of a big deal like and right. done it in a way that wasn't very like nice or clever and it was just like a reaction like put them in and um so we kind of had to put them in and then the game was hated kind of thing mm-hmm. and so it's just like this oh really demoralizing thing and then yeah going back to in being indie again it's kind of like oh it's so much simpler you just try and make a good game it's like you know like making a game from that we played when we were kids there's not much to it except you just try and make it cool <laughs> and, yeah. and hope it's well if it goes well yeah i think yeah that was another big part of it it wasn't it wasn't just that like we sort of looked at this stuff going on and went uh, we don't really like this it was that we looked at that stuff and went this isn't what we're good at like this isn't what we're actually what our skill sets are you know we're not smart about uh microtransactions and things like that where you know our, our experience and skills are about making satisfying uh you know action combat mechanics and uh cool characters and things like that and th- those skills were not you know no longer kind of part of the discussion you know those Mm -hmm. that those were kind of irrelevant it was just really like keeping people in the store and a lot of uh psychology stuff that oh yeah you know if i was interested in that i would have i would have studied that i would have been doing that so to be kind of to to have a lot of these artists and programmers who have this specific skill set just kind of being told oh well you know this should be a skill set now knowing about this stuff uh you know a lot of people just got yeah got disillusioned and went like right i'm out of here <laughs> and i think actually unfortunately a lot of those a lot of those people um just left games altogether and you know especially a lot of the programmers just they just went and you know did did more boring programming jobs that were a lot better paying and they never came back because they were you know earning much better money that way which is unfortunate yeah, it's yeah, it's it's also unfortunate just because if you look at mobile now, you know, top grossing games are, I think, a lot more money is put into the marketing and business than the actual games themselves. Yeah. Um, that's kind of just how the space is now. Yeah. Um, but you know, you moved on to brighter pastures, and how did you get the idea for Crawl in the first place? Uh, Crawl was uh just a game jam thing. I think we uh were kind of lucky enough to i mean so as we were working on these unsatisfying mobile things we had a lot of friends who we'd worked with at red tribe and and people who we'd met at uh at the the mobile studio who were all super enthusiastic about making games and so 
because we were so unsatisfied at work, we kind of uh, set up a little local multiplayer sort of game jam event just just among our friends, uh, just to kind of get to make some silly fun stuff that's you know that's um yeah that that's not that's not stressing about microtransactions and not stressing about monetization and you know and and even in that in that case we were not stressing about it being even a good game or a sellable game just a fun thing to make and a fun thing to sort of have a few beers and play with our friends yeah we weren't uh, even going to release them really it was and we didn't it was just a um like the the idea was we'll we'll make local multiplayer games because they're really fun to play together and then we'll all get together on like on a saturday and finish them off and then play them all together and get drunk and have a party yeah um, just like blow off some steam doing a bit of game game making that's that's a bit you know less stressful and a bit more silly and fun uh mm-hmm. and and crawl was one of the games that sort of came from that just the initial kind of I guess kernel of the the concept was made for one of those jams, and when we played it, we you know it was really silly and fun, and it was pretty unique. Uh, so that then, when a friend of ours at the company was uh, a, a kind of younger guy, uh, and and he wound up kind of making this offhand comment, just like, "Oh, I mean, you're not going to work here forever, are you?" And and I think that for me, that really kind of weirdly just like sucked to me, and I really thought about it, and I was like am I planning on just working at this place forever? And like, then it would just it stuck in my head. And I was like, no, I don't want to, I don't want to keep doing this exact thing forever. And then I was like, well, if I'm ever going to try something else, it's only going to get harder the longer I stay here. And the more I sort of get older and more responsibilities and debt and maybe starting a family and all that stuff. So the more I kind of like fuss about this tiny little like offhand comment that our that our buddy had made, the more I realized I think I've got to quit. I think I've got to quit now and try it now before I before I don't have a chance anymore. Uh and then and then I kind of mentioned that to Dave. Uh and instead of him just like going, haha, that's a funny thing and then just like, you know, us forgetting about it and going back to our regular jobs he was infected by it as well and he was into like shit yeah maybe i think we've actually got to quit (laughs) and i think like i I was talking about it i was talking about a lot but i think like deep down i wasn't completely committed to it but then yeah it's a lot to give up because you know stable salary and it feels pretty irresponsible to be like oh you know kind of late 20s uh, I've got this, you know, proper job that, yeah. I, you know, I'm being responsible. <laughs> I shouldn't yeah. just quit and like go on holiday and make dumb games for a while. That's that's like, yeah, <laughs> that like, would yeah. work. <laughs> we, we had always been, I'd sort of been brought up by a single mum with three kids and we were always just like struggling behind, you know, behind like the, just having enough money just to sort of operate and be comfortable. And so... I think I was just always super conservative about like, oh, I'm earning money. Great. Stay there. Don't, don't rock the boat. You know, like this, this is really good. Uh, so yeah, I think that was, that was really the first kind of risky thing that, that I like that, that I'd seriously done that actually mm. had, had ramifications like that. I think uh, that, that mindset it helped, helped us a lot in the, like the, the start in the first year and stuff where, where it was, we were both kind of budgeting. Okay. We'll, you know, we'll do this and we've got a, we've got like a, an amount of money we're willing to burn through, even if we've got more savings that we could tap into, we're going to, you know, we're going to stick to this, like, um, stick to this amount of, you know, savings that we're going to use up for, for this idea of like trying to make a game. And it meant that we, we were like, okay, we're treating this. This is just like full-time work. You know, we've, we've stopped working full-time at EA, but now we're working full-time at home. It wasn't like a, 
um, it wasn't like a kind of a hobby anymore. It was like, no, nah, this is our full-time job. And we were both, because we both come from exactly the same place, we were both equally committed to the same thing. So it was, it worked really well as, um, in terms of us balancing each other's work and, and stuff like we were, and, and each other's commitment and being kind of starting a company together and having an equal footing. Um, so I think it was a, a really good way to, to sort of get off on the right foot as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, how was it um, doing your first milestone, you know, announcing that you uh, were making a game? Um, when, when was that? Well, I guess that was, um, I think we just like, you know, we were like, oh, we, we should do, we should put, make a website. And I think there was an Barney, event coming Oh, there up. was PAX, yeah, PAX Australia. The first PAX Australia was coming up. And, um, and we didn't show the game there or anything. Is that... Is that yeah, right? yeah. We just decided, oh, okay, we'll we'll make a little trailer so we can, you know, have something to that if we talk to any press, we can point them to our website and show them the trailer. And that yeah. was the very first thing we did. And we got an article on Rock Paper Shotgun that was just like the most amazing thing for us. We were like, holy yeah. crap, that's <laughs> and and looking back at the trailer, it's pretty hilarious because it's like, oh, oh it's man, so bad that first trailer. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it didn't. We didn't put sound in it. We're like, oh, we won't put any sound in it because yeah. you know that'd you take extra sound. time. <laughs> <laughs> and then we went back and put added like music and sound to it. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, we didn't yeah. have sound in the game at that point, so that's probably yeah, why. Yeah, exactly. That's right. So it was all just game footage, and they were like, well, yeah, what sound will be even put on it? And then we made it, and it just looks so dumb without sound. We were like, okay, well, yeah. we'll have to just fake some sound effects and get some music. And, um, yeah, that, that that's kind of funny because after that, you know, the sound of our trailers sort of wound up being such a huge pivotal thing and such a, like, the core of, like, they're basically built around the soundtrack and the narration and all this stuff, so... Uh, yeah, and some of the sounds we originally captured for just for that video to like you know fake into the video are actually in the game as well. Still, yeah, I think yeah. that like laser beam <laughs> sound. <laughs> yeah. What I've noticed is um, it seems like early on, pretty early on, you had the core of the game like mechanically kind of figured out. Um, and it really was the presentation that evolved. If you look at it now, you know the you have all those nice, nice lighting effects, the animations, of course, the narration, which is great. Um. Do you, would you agree with that? Would you say it was kind of a process of figuring out like um, how to make the game present better over time? Like, what was the main think, development effort? I think there was a there was a very quick transition from this is the crappy prototype and basically like what what is a bit of an art style that will make it look okay. And I think that happened pretty early on. And there's definitely been a lot of just sort of polishing and and adding nicer looking menus and things like that. But but actually, I think the the sort of basics for the presentation were kind of nailed down really early. Um, and I think a lot of those trailers, we still didn't really, like we weren't really happy with how the game played, especially the overall flow of the game, like yeah. how you would actually win a match. The The original prototype didn't have an end. Like you just all, you'd have one player and they'd jump in and they'd walk into a room and then there'd be three monsters there and everyone would try and work out which monster they are. And then, you know, the hero would kill the monsters or the hero would get killed by someone and then the, the hero would swap. And then you, you know, you walk around more and go down a level and just kept going forever until people got bored and stopped. And so yeah. it took us a long time to work out, okay, you know, do we have something where everyone's got a certain amount of lives and then they have, then they're out? Um, or do we have uh, something where the game, I think the first thing was like it, you just kept playing until you got to level 10, like, you know, floor 10, and then it would just say who won, which was really bad as well. So it took us a long time to get to like feeling to to get something which worked in that sort of RPG trope where okay 
the objective is that you've got to kill the final boss and to do that you've got to level up and and then that gives everything everyone sort of an immediate goal and an end goal and there's that got that competition element but yeah that that was something which when we'd done some of the trailers and got some press we still were kind of working that stuff out um yeah so we were pretty we were like oh people seem to be really keen on this idea but we don't actually know what it is yet <laughs> yeah i think it was kind of like we we're like oh we're building a vehicle and we've got the engine which is like this unique thing of the other people controlling the mechanics but we don't know like if it's going to be a plane or a car or a boat and just trying to build like a structure around that core engine and kind of realizing that like, Oh, it's such a weird engine that like we can't build, you know, in any of the traditional ways that yeah, sort of building a structure that actually felt like this is a coherent uh, kind of match format. And that because it looks like uh, a fantasy RPG of uh, running around sort of killing monsters in a dungeon, which is something that people have seen, so many times they have so many expectations about uh, about kind of how how that will work and what you will be rewarded with for doing certain actions and things like that and so uh, trying to get this game format that in a lot of cases wasn't compatible with um with satisfying those those expectations trying to kind of paint mechanics in a way and theme them in a way that that d- seemed more intuitive to players who had played those games before and, and didn't kind of confuse those expectations was, was pretty challenging. Right. Cause it's more like, um, yeah, it isn't Zelda. I mean, it's more like smash brothers cause it's a party game. Mm. Um, but I think one of the genius design things is even if like, you know, in smash brothers, you know, you get knocked out, you kind of just have to watch and spectate while everything happens and the match finishes up uh, and crawl, no matter what, there's this continuity where you're always doing something. At what point did you do you think you kind of like nailed that loop? I think it was probably I think it took us quite a few months to get there and, and a lot of play testing. So we we actually had something where you all had you had a number of spawns basically a number of monsters or a number of um, a number of heroes. Yeah, no, no, it was a number of monsters. And once you were out of monsters, you just had to watch everyone else finish the game. Mm. And um, like it, it was that was probably the sort of second attempt we had at trying to work out a game flow like game game rule set kind of thing and it was a little bit of a a little bit better but really still didn't work um and we didn't have the ghost the idea of you're always controlling a ghost at that time either which was another big step forward in terms of oh you're always in the game and you're always got this sort of this character you're controlling and you know you don't constantly lose like have to work out who you are every time you enter a room because you've suddenly become a um, a zombie whereas before you were just not on the screen at all um things like the ghosts i think uh, were a a really good um so so there was a lot you know there's a lot of potential like concepts like you could just be controlling around kind of a a reticule that would just you know select things and it would just be more like a hud element and you would just click okay i want to spawn as this or i want to control that um but as soon as as soon as we had it in as kind of this entity of ghost then there's there's so much kind of associated uh you know kind of knowledge and expectations around what a ghost is that even though mechanically it would be the same as a reticule uh it it lent itself to a lot of interactions and so it meant that certain interactions that were ghosty kind of things were just really inherent and people would just pick them up really quickly whereas if it was just 
an abstract reticule, uh, all those things would have to be taught. But then on the other side, if you wanted them to do a thing that wasn't ghosty, then that would be really difficult to teach. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was those kind of things that were kind of challenging and that, but yeah, took, took a while. I think the ghost thing actually like just fell into place. I think that was really when, you know, as soon as we had the, the ghost sin, we were like, oh yeah, this can work as a proper thing. Like moving around as this, this character, it felt right that you, uh, you know, couldn't, couldn't touch and affect the other characters, but you were still a character yourself. And, and uh, yeah, so just mm-hmm. a bunch of happy little, happy little kind of finds like that really brought it together. Right. And, you during development you posted a lot um you know blog updates and just updates in general uh and streams all sorts of things kind of cluing in you know followers early on of what the game was turning out to be and all the developments you made along the way um what was that experience like just kind of having that very public um development process for much of uh the game's life uh yeah i think that was kind of one of the one of the most fun parts of the of the whole process because we had come from uh, you know EA where the there's just so many layers of um of sort of corporate uh red tape and and you know messaging and things between a person who makes something cool and, and then actually like a player seeing that and thinking it's cool uh and so there was no direct communication but then I think both me and Dave had come from being just hobbyists where we'd make a game and we'd show it to our friends. And so I think, you know, we, we both were, uh, had really liked that part. Like I finished making a silly thing. It's got some jokes in it that I know my friends are going to like, and then I go and show it to them and they have a laugh and, you know, it's a really fun part of the process. So having kind of missed out on that part of the process while we were working professionally and then, and then, you know, starting our own thing and thinking, oh, no, we're really concerned. We, we have to learn how to do marketing. And then kind of realizing that, oh, actually, marketing is just is just like when when you've made a cool thing and you show it to your buddies, like we used to really love doing. So I think, yeah, that wound up kind of really, really fun and rewarding. And, uh, and I think the times that we've sort of d- done well with that marketing have always been the times that we we treated it in that same way. We treated it like, you know, I'm just trying to entertain like some, some like-minded friends rather than I, I need to sell, sell people on this product, you know? And so Mm. it's been the kind of the personal jokey things that are the same things that, that would have made my friends laugh that have been the things that have, you know, been widely spread and, and got us a lot of uh, kind of eyes on the game. Yeah. That definitely gives it a more authentic feel than, you know, like a, big trailer at a e3 or whatever um you would compare that to um and there were it's a lot also of um, more fun you know it's yeah. just um yeah like to 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 do these like silly things that really we would have done that kind of stuff anyway just to entertain our friends and then to realize oh this is actually this helps our business this is a legitimate thing uh yeah it's pretty cool and it's also just easier when you're frank and you just you know talk as yourself um on you know on twitter or whatever because Mm. yeah putting on like a professional persona to make yourself look like you're a big shot game developer (laughs) is just kind of i don't know it's not it's not easy and it's and it means i think doing that means you kind of you post less stuff because you're like i only want to post the very best quality things so that people think i'm really amazing and 
Um, but then you also, it also means that the, you just don't build up a nice community because your, your community treat you like your EA. They don't treat you like you're just another human. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's really important for indies to, to just be like, you know, I'm a person making a game, like <laughs> and, check and out my stuff. You forget that like the stuff that you'd screw up half the time is actually a lot more interesting than just showing, uh, a really perfect finished asset like show your perfect finished assets as well but there's not there's not uh much drama associated with a, a perfect finished asset there's all like there's just inherent human excitement and drama associated with look at this thing that i screwed up or that looked 90 percent good but then this part of it is broken or you know look at these bugs so yeah i think realizing that that stuff is not something to hide and is something that that is really good to share uh, is is cool because it's it's more fun to share as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think even like even before you went early access, I think that did a great job of getting people involved in the game. You know, even though they couldn't play it yet. Um, and then of course you did go early access eventually, um, which did let people play the game. At that point, what would you say the role of feedback was in development? Um, I think the the best feedback at that point was YouTube videos of people like let's playing the game because we really we'd you know done play testing at at friends houses and um at um the sort of game meetups in melbourne but it's so different when you're standing behind someone watching them play the game mm. to getting there trying to get their feedback as it is you know when you've got a let's player and their stream of consciousness um saying exactly what they're feeling about the game as they're playing it and mm-hmm. sort of saying when they're confused and and you can sort of see their face like looking puzzled at something and you're like oh okay we mm-hmm. you know they obviously don't get this mechanic we'll have to we should try and work on that and make that better um and then we've with the the steam forums and like early access like community the it's it's interesting there's 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 kind of two sides to it there's the there's people who sort of come on and they just don't understand it and um and they'll just post like what does this do and then there's the people who are the sort of the the players that have just played it over and over and over and know everything in and out as like better than me and barney <laughs> and um and will prop usually answer those questions for us um from less experienced players but also will like really heavily critique everything we do and like <laughs> say all the things they hate about it <laughs> whenever we change something but that means that like instantly gives us okay this thing's overpowered, this thing's underpowered, um, which is stuff, you know, you take into account. You don't always do it because you kind of want to have variation in the game. You don't want it, everything to be perfect all the time because that's not as fun. But um, but you kind of, you get a very quickly get an idea of, okay, we added this mechanic and there's a problem with it or uh, we added this monster and he's way underpowered or way overpowered. Yeah, um, like I think the because there's there's sort of a lot of randomized elements in the game as well, we, you know, even just running a, a whole afternoon, just doing test matches with a new element that we've put in, there are so many combinations of that element with other elements that we just won't have seen that uh, we just couldn't have got all, all that testing without the, those people to just put put a thing out there and wait for a day and see that, okay, we've got 20 people saying that in this circumstance, this thing is broken and it's, it's like, oh, thanks a lot, guys. We, we can easily go and fix that. Um, and there's, yeah, there's definitely a lot of balanced things that have been super useful. There's also a lot of uh, communication things where we can put a thing out there and very quickly know, have we communicated this quickly to the, properly to the players so that they inherently understand it? Uh, the forum's been great for that. 
Uh, but I think a big a big part of what early access and the feedback was good for with us as well was um, kind of scaling the the game or sort of knowing when it was safe to continue making uh, a larger game that we invested more time in. Whereas I think without early access and without getting that feedback of, of seeing that people are enjoying the basic basic premise and we, we understand that this and that and that thing need to be fixed because they're, they're not working for people, that gave us a really good roadmap of kind of how viable is this game? Is it worth spending another six months on, another year on? Uh, and so early access was really good for developers who are... Uh, like us had never we we'd made a, a whole lot of games before but we had never been the ones trying to sell them before and so to have it out there and have uh, proof and testing to see this can sell it can sell on this kind of scale and to see that's enough to justify putting another 6 months into it putting another year into it i think that was really useful to us i think without um yeah we sort of designed like the idea um of crawl we thought was really good for our first project because it's so scalable like the game worked as we released it on early access it was like completely fully functional you could do everything that you kind of do in the final game it just didn't have nearly as much content um but was still really fun and still a game we we're really proud of like putting out there and so that was like that was our kind of objective was uh have a game that where we can kind of put out and like okay people don't like it that much we'll um we'll finish it off in a in a couple of months and and call mm-hmm. it a, and you know then move on to the next thing or like oh okay everyone's really excited about it and they love it and and um and we can afford to to keep like pumping stuff into it but either way we've made a good product or whatever mm-hmm. so yeah so we kind of tried to play it safe you know not making a, a game where it's a big long narrative and if if you know, if we don't have time to make one of the levels, then the story won't make sense or something <laughs> and the game won't be complete, you know. Um, I guess yeah. the other thing, the other thing with, in terms of the sort of decision to go early access for me was having worked for like five years in, in mobile games and seeing how the whole maintenance cycle of a mo- mobile game where releasing the game is the first step and everyone expects you to add stuff and update it. And there's a, there's a lot of, uh, advantages to that in terms of you know you get a boost to sales every time you do that and um and you build a bigger fan base and people play your game for a lot longer because they don't just play it when it comes out they they play it every time there's an update and they play it in between um and early access seemed like oh that's the equivalent of putting a game on the iphone store in terms of having that kind of expectation of updates and i think nowadays you can do it without early access and people will still expect oh yeah they'll you know they're going to add stuff it's this style of game they're definitely going to keep adding things. But back then it was like people just, you know, early access was this thing where like, oh, you'll expect updates. If it's not an early access, then this is the final game you're going to get. And mm. if you do an update after that, people will be really surprised kind of thing. Um, so it sort of made made sense on that from that angle, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, early access is an interesting thing because yeah, if you look at some games like uh, Darkest Dungeon, um, when they uh, were on early access and they released, that kind of was a lot of the hype around them. And there's that saying, you can only release once. And then, um, you know, if a game gets officially released past that, in some instances, it's hard to regenerate that hype because you, um, you can't really build that unless you have new content or something exciting to bring to the table, like in a full release. Mm. Yeah, definitely. The, the launch of a game after it's been on early access unless you do 
it's just something sort of spectacular in terms of marketing like Darkest Dungeon did, um, it def- definitely tends to be uh, a much smaller thing, you know. I mean, people have already heard of the game. They're already aware of it. They've already been able to play it. It's not... It's not, it's not the as same much as news. A, yeah, yeah, as as a new exciting thing that they've only seen trailers for. Suddenly now it exists and you can sort of get your hands on it. So that's definitely a big challenge is to try and get um is to try and get something to to create some sort of excitement at, at that launch point rather than just saying, hey, we now that this version number has changed to one we plan to update it probably less. Like that's not really much of a much of a new story um so yeah so it's understandable um but but it 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 also can be tough because when the game first launches a lot of a lot of outlets like oh well this is just an early access launch so this is also not not so much worth worth covering or you know it's not as serious of an event as a full game launch so you definitely do get kind of diminished uh diminished coverage uh on both ends of that unless you you know, do something miraculous and do a lot of work and uh, and and sort of get people interested. Um, but at the same time, it's it's so much less risky and nerve wracking because you know you've been you've had it in development this whole time and you've been able to sort of modulate uh, how much money you spend on the thing based on h- how much it's selling. And so it's not it's you don't get that kind of one time like gamble throw it all like on black uh you know uh casino style uh experience of you've you've spent four years on this thing and you've put everything all your money and all your hopes in it and then you just put it out there and you're just like waiting to see if it gets enough sales on that first day and and if it gets a small number of first sales on that first day those sales are only going to diminish you know that that's your one big time and so that's must be such a terrifying gamble for games that just do that that big that kind of one-off big launch um so yeah i think early access it sort of has has pros and cons uh, in that in that way, but de- definitely, I think for Crawl, the match was right, and the pros outweighed the cons. I think with a lot of types of games, the you know that they're, they're not really well suited to that. And yeah, also with what what Dave was saying, that there's kind of now the mentality has changed, and that really with a game that plays a lot more like a sport, kind of people just expect it to continue being updated and balanced after launch anyway. So yeah, so something something like crawl maybe no longer needs to be early access, but um, yeah, it's a it's an interesting it's an interesting uh, system and one that I think definitely got a, a bad name to a lot of people uh, for perfectly valid reasons. Like, there's definitely a lot of uh, a lot of yeah, people using that system. Like, our mentality is definitely not. The, the one that's shared by all the developers i guess a lot of people are like you can just put on early access even before it's you know fully functional right. and you know which you wouldn't do with an iphone game you'd make sure it's like a polished launch and you know but, but yeah a lot of people will just be like oh stick it on early access as soon as we can um it doesn't matter if it's broken because it's just early access and that that gets yeah people obviously don't like that because they're buying a game and if the game's half made and they don't really have any guarantees that it's ever going to get finished then um, it's not a very good deal. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of risk for for people buying a game when they're buying it on early access. I mean, mm-hmm. at least it it seems like there is, although you know, a full released game can be just as broken, I guess. Yeah, and it, yeah, it's tough, especially if you're 
um, an indie dev on PC, you don't exactly have like an affiliation to Sony or Microsoft or Nintendo. You can't uh, depend on that. Um, so you really have to do it right, uh, play your cards right in that development stage before your game's even out. Um, but on that topic, before the release, I think uh, you announced, and it is now, uh, Crawl is on Xbox and uh, PlayStation. Um, what was it like dealing with uh, publishing on those platforms as well? Yeah, good. We like pretty early on. I think when we first when we went onto Greenlight, we had a big trailer and um, got a lot of press from that. Um, that was when we were kind of it was pretty exciting time and very everything happened really fast. Um, we got we got a bunch of publishers contacting us and and also people from um, Microsoft and Sony saying, "Oh, are you coming to GDC?" It was in like a couple of weeks, and we were like, "Uh, we weren't planning to, but we sort of thought we'd better go." And so quickly like organized to go overseas and um and met yeah met with um met with people from id at xbox and and sony um and they were really friendly and we also met with all these publishers that were sort of saying oh you know you need us to um you need us if you're going to do console you know it's impossible to it's possible to do it without a publisher um and then yeah we we chatted some xbox and and um playstation guys and they were like no no you can do it yourself it's not that bad <laughs> yeah <laughs> and I'd, I'd done i'd done some porting stuff before um so i kind of knew i knew like the that it's not easy like in terms of um getting the game to the point where it's shippable on those platforms um but but i kind of knew knew what the pitfalls were and everything so uh it was more that yeah more the kind of like the publishing side of it we didn't know about but uh yeah and talking to other devs and actually some other some of the the better publishers like we we chatted to devolver um and they were they were like nah you guys can do it all by yourself if you want like there's no you know you don't need you don't need a publisher if you you know publisher is there to help if you want you know uh and that that attitude is really good and that's I hope, <laughs> like the indies that get into a deal where they feel like they need the publisher i think is is always going to be a bit of a, a bad deal because um it's not really true it's like a publisher can help a lot and help you do a lot of things you don't want to do but you could definitely do everything yourself um yeah and then we we got a friend uh um that we'd worked with at the same companies as me and barney sort of worked together at um to end up doing most of the porting stuff so that was really cool like um so basically yeah instead of getting a big porting company to do it we just got a friend and we paid him and gave him a bit of royalties and um that was really you know much more enjoyable working with someone that you're good friends with as well um so that was a, an easy situation i guess so yeah it went really smoothly um yeah nowadays you don't really yeah especially now uh, as an indie you don't need a publisher that often um because i think this generation the all the you know big uh console players are really much more receptive to indie games because they realize how important they are you know after yeah. your minecraft your binding of isaac they've seen the success of that model i think yeah i mean i think it, yeah they they basically missed the boat on on that first wave of just super successful indies uh and so i think they panicked and went oh no we we really need these kind of games on our consoles too and so they all worked really hard to make uh to make their self-publishing uh kind of pipelines accessible to people uh i think they're still they're still much more 
archaic than than using something really nice like Steam. But in terms of the the sort of uh, the documentation and the the steps that you have to go through, but uh, yeah, it's definitely no longer the the case that you you know would need to rely on a publisher's connections and a publisher's dealings with with one of these companies to to get it on console at all. Uh, and I think the 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 way the the publishers were trying to portray it like that was uh i think that's probably dying out as well as it's you know that was kind of a trans a transitional stage where not not that long ago that really was the case that they that they had these connections with the consoles and uh they were really necessary for that and i think for steam this, even yeah 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 exactly um and so this this kind of like revolution of people being able to directly put put their stuffs on on things has really forced publishers to kind of try and reassess what role they play in in a lot of cases and it has kind of yeah brought on a bit of a new wave of of, of publishers who operate kind of differently and and I think that's cool and yeah I think yeah. it'll be cool to see the way that kind of develops yeah, you, you have like the Devolver Digitals now, which are uh, totally different as a publisher, but I've also found tremendous success um, yeah. in the way the market works now. Um, so after release of the game, um, what was it like in terms of getting player feedback, like assessing, okay, you know, for example, people really want online multiplayer, um, because <laughs> that's a difficult thing, you know, it's a local game. Um, and obviously, it's easier to develop that. And also, in one sense, like, oh, um, it's, it's, you know, you want people to play in the same room, um, uh, if possible. Um, but just using that as an example, like what was the main kind of feedback you got after launch and how did that feel? After a early access launch or yeah, after your like a full release launch on Steam? Um, yeah, online multiplayer has been kind of a consistent one, uh, throughout and it was something we, we kind of had to make the hard decision that we wouldn't do it, um, maybe a year after, or like half a year after we put out on early access it was like i i spent a bunch of time looking at it and and prototyping online stuff and then realized no it's not going to happen um and so that that's just basically something we have to kind of put up with because <laughs> it's not going to go away and it's completely understandable that people want that um and i guess the other thing the other one is because switch just came out everyone's like really keen oh, for yeah. switch games so so they're they're the true ones online multiplayer and switch <laughs> no, i think it's not just it's not just they're keen for switch games i think crawl just happens to be a, a perfect pretty, for switch yeah a pretty yeah. good fit for it as well the because lots of people had say wanted it on vita in the past and, and you know i we just had to say well that was this be. local multiplayer focus and so i mean you could play just the single player version on vita and it would be really nice to have that copy just small in your hands and it'd look nice on the screen and and it's a kind of right type of experience to just play on the go but but there's there's no options for all that local multiplayer stuff, so it just doesn't fit. And then yeah, ha- having the switch kind of has all the benefits of that, but also just yeah, perfect for local multiplayer and uh, taking it to a friend's place and and taking off the little controllers and just playing two players uh, just seems like the perfect match for it. So, um, but yeah, I think in, in in thinking about the online as well, I mean I, I think our decision-making process has always kind of come back to the reason that we have have quit our jobs um, is because we wanted to make a certain kind of lifestyle for ourselves, not just, so, you know, not just because we want to make the most money we possibly can make, you know, and 
I, I don't think either of us would have would have done this at all if we were that focused on money. And so we sort of got yeah, a lot of- I would be working in a bank. Yeah. Heaps of money. <laughs> Uh, and so lots of people are like, oh, you're crazy if you don't do online that, you know, there's the potential for all this money. And I mean, yeah, maybe there is, maybe there isn't. But the we had to assess it from the point of view of what would our lifestyles be like in order to implement this feature? And we we weren't happy with the huge amount of work that, that it would take and, and simultaneously the how we would be feeling doing that that work uh, right. in that, you know, developing the, the game where we're adding features is really rewarding, but all of that work would be basically, it wouldn't be, oh, we added a new feature. This is really cool. It would just be getting old stuff that already we're happy with how it works, refactoring it, changing it, in a lot of cases, making it work uh, worse so that it's more predictable and compatible with the netcode or you know so, so so that i can't just freely throw out a million particles and, and put damages on them and, and stuff like i'm able to do now um you know we would have to think all right what's a better way to do this that, that that's more predictable and isn't going to wind up with uh with, with too much sort of data trying to be synced um so sort of combining a, just a huge workload with the kind of unrewarding side of that workload being towards making the current experience probably a little less work, a less kind of less good, but then spreading it to a, to a wider audience. I think we sort of weighed that up and thought, you know, why are we doing this? We're doing this because we just want to make stuff we think is really fun. We've already done that. And, you know, obviously the, the, the priority after making something that's cool is make enough money to continue doing that. And we've already done that. So, you know, if if I think our ability to continue making games kind of rested on it, having online multiplayer, we would have, you know, we would have panicked about that a bit more. But uh, I think it's such a good environment now that you can do a niche thing. And if you market and if you work and try and connect with people online, you can find you can find the pe- enough people that are into that niche. And, you know, local multiplayer is is not just uh, a limitation of the game. It's kind of the core that every mechanic was designed around. Right. Um, so, you know, it's not something that it, it's true to say that, oh, it would just be better to have more people playing it because the, the core experience is, yeah, it is built on a lot of local multiplayer specific uh, kind of situations. And so, yeah, I think the combination of all that really, really mm-hmm. made us feel not not too bad about about deciding not to do online this time um because it, it was also the sort of heritage of of the game that it, it grew as a local multiplayer thing and and wasn't built as online from the ground up but but it also taught us that okay well now that we sort of feel that a thing that we make could actually sell enough to justify that extra work for online multiplayer then in the future when we have these kind of ideas We'll consider the online from the start, um, but definitely, I, I yeah, think for if- a first project, I guess as a new indie, deciding to do an online multiplayer game is usually a bad idea because it's they're expensive, I guess, and they're hard to hard to do. Um, yeah, and and also if it's not a big game, then it's kind of it doesn't really add anything because you've just got this empty these empty servers, 
and no one can really play the game anyway because there's no one else playing them so yeah but um it's not just like baking in online functionality you have to maintain servers or work at a deal for that you have to you know think oh should i work on crass platform uh compatibility which is a whole different issue i mean there's a lot of baggage associated with that yeah we definitely wouldn't have done day and date on um on console and um the full release if we're doing online multiplayer that would be really hard (laughs) yeah yeah i mean like even uh the rocket league devs had a ton of trouble with that and that game was designed from the start i think for online multiplayer yeah yeah um so but coming back to the switch thing um with you know nintendo has this pretty uh they you know they kind of are very slow to some things and it seems like they're kind of catching up to this um reception to indie devs that sony and microsoft have had for a bit now with the switch um has that made you think about pursuing the switch yeah yeah we're we're chatting with nintendo and stuff we've like very early days we don't really yeah um, I, I, you probably can't say anything stuff, at the moment but yeah yeah well, we don't yeah. really we don't really have much to say but but we're, we're hoping to do it and be cool awesome yeah That's, yeah because <laughs> i want to i mean personally like i want to get a switch and i'm sure many people listening who have a switch or want to get one would love to play a uh, crawl on it yeah um, we think it'll work really well as well yeah because it, it's it's Definitely. like it's funny because it's the kind of game where like i think it just plays better on consoles than pc just the kind of game it is um yeah it feels like it's a living room kind of game i right. guess right yeah. um yeah but it's great that steam kind of and the w- the way it is made that possible and then you could kind of extend that to consoles to give that yourself that broad audience because you don't have the online audience because the game's not designed for that but you do have uh you know an audience across a lot of platforms which is i think equally good yeah totally yeah when when we started the game we had no idea like there there really wasn't an audience there was no on there was no local multiplayer games um it was before towerfall um, star wall or yeah like yeah before that um i think nidhogg i'd played nidhogg on a um, little arcade cabinet but it was like this weird uh art game <laughs> it wasn't actually it wasn't you know wasn't mm-hmm. something that you expected to be released at any time right um and then yeah seeing i guess seeing towerfall do well on Uyar and then come to to steam and do well there uh was that was the first like oh wow people are actually making local multiplayer games we just we were, at that time we were like this is you know a three-month project we'll like stick on our website and because you know it's not going to get on steam and we'll just you know <laughs> we'll like some people might like it that'd be cool um but we had yeah we had no idea that oh there's actually going to be all these local multiplayer games coming out that that people love yeah so here you are four it was years cool later. seeing that coming out yeah totally yeah yeah definitely and awesome, nowadays, yeah. like we, at the time that we thought we had that novel idea of having a local multiplayer game jam, <laughs> whereas now like most game jam games seem to be local multiplayer because <laughs> it's like a nice, it's a really easy way of getting some fun into a game quite quickly. Mm-hmm, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. And, and it just gets, gets you that kind of metagame, the social interaction, you know, of screaming at your friends because um, they killed you or whatever. Um, yeah. I think, I think you benefit a lot from uh from that in the comments you get from people because people are always like oh i had so much fun playing your game uh but actually 90 percent of the fun was just hanging out with their friends you know but the game was a good excuse good excuse for that so yeah i think local multiplayer you kind of uh you get a lot of credit that you probably didn't deserve just because you're giving people an excuse to actually hang out with their friends yeah well, it's it yeah, it's it's good to have a good game too, and it looks like you have both, so that's definitely <laughs> good. 
um yeah thank you so much for coming on today um and uh i guess thank you for uh, having a pretty good game um so where can people find out about your game uh just your website yeah it's best place powerwolf.com um or if you want to see sort of more i guess yeah i mean there, there's a lot of a lot of stuff on our website um on the blog there but um barney tweets a lot on, uh, at powerhoof on twitter so um that's a good one to follow if you're on twitter as well awesome so yeah you uh you heard it here first um so do you plan to just um support crawl in the near future or are you working on new games yeah yeah we'll, we'll definitely do some more updates for crawl and we're kind of we're having a bit of a, a break this last month and thinking about new stuff and just been kind of doing little game jams and things like that and um haven't got any solid plans yet but we're, we're trying not to like rush into it too much um that's so smart. we don't yeah. kind of burn ourselves out too <laughs> we relax yeah. a bit you know um yeah it should be yeah looking forward to, to trying other stuff as well yeah well uh good luck with that and thank you again everyone who's listening to this as a podcast or on youtube or on both of those things um and yeah we'll see you in the next one goodbye See ya.